I want to share a story to start. One that I'm assuming, if you didn't know, my mom likes to listen to the sermons online here. I'm sure I'm going to get a phone call at some point to hear about this story. Uh, I, I was spanked once in my life. Any guesses what that might have been for? I, I don't know how old I was. I know which house we were in. I know my dad was still alive, so I know sometime between six and nine, I went upstairs to my room and it was supposed to be bedtime and I saw something on the floor that looked like a spider. And my brain, as your brains do, went into emotional response mode. And so I was afraid, I, I did not want to go in my room. So I went and told my parents, like, there's a spider, I, I can't go in there. And my dad told me, go in your room, uh, if I go up there and that's not a spider, you're going to get a spanking. So he went up there, it wasn't a spider, and that's the only time I've ever been spanked. And I was a kid afraid, who then got another thing of fear. And here's the sad reality. I don't have too many strong memories of my dad. You know, he, he passed when I was nine. But that's one of the more vivid memories I still have is that moment. And it's because your brain, when it's in fear, is storing up all of those memories. And it's looking for all of those cues and saying, I'm never going to go through this again. How do I avoid this? And fear is crippling. And so our text today is a text about fear. It's about responses to fear, about getting past fear. And how do we get to a place where, okay, we call God king and we're going to follow God, and yet at some point we end up in a place where Christians, who are rational people, end up irrationally resisting what God wants them to do. We want to say, oh, I, I love God, I'm going to follow God. And yet, somehow, we end up in a place where we're irrationally rejecting God. And so I think fear is a part of why that happens. And I want to see how this text speaks to fear. Now, I, I want to start with a brain study. And we have some, some counselors, some, some nurses, some other people who could give you much better detailed discussions of the brain. Uh, but, but how does fear work in us? Uh, the brain has a very small uh, part of the, in the middle of the, the brain, the amygdala, which is kind of like an emotional processor. Uh, and it gets sensory information and it processes to saying, I'm, I'm safe or I have pleasure or I'm, I'm afraid or it, it's emotionally processing everything. And then there's the, the big kind of... Uh, neocortex that's on the, on the top, that's the thinking part of the brain, it's where uh, cognition and language skills happens, it's where um, we have developed in a way that's more dense than a lot of our uh, animal friends, that that's part of our brain that is kind of supercharged of more dense than other brains. Uh, it's that thinking part of ourselves. But what happens is, is our sensory parts of ourselves, our eyes, our ears, our, our nerve endings for our touch, they send impulses to the brain, and some of those impulses are going to the brain to think about, what am I going to do? 
But the amygdala is quicker. It gets the impulse initially, and it decides, am I safe or not? Am I afraid or not? Is this something I like or not? And when it decides it's afraid, the other part of the brain stops getting most of that information. It shuts down. And you get into that, that classic thing about freeze, uh, you know, do you freeze, do you flee, or do you fight? And the brain kind of slowly whittles down all of your options into those kinds of very basic responses. And so, uh, you, you can't rationalize, you can't talk to someone who's in that state. They have to feel safe and their body has to come down because uh, the blood pressure system, everything just starts being affected by that fear response. And so we have an uphill battle to work through. Like if we're going to follow God, yet we are constantly afraid of things, even things that we don't see because our body takes these impulses of, you know, I had a bad experience once and I heard something that sounded like that and it already starts to go into fear mode. Uh, how do we get ourselves to a place where we can trust God into the unknown, into the danger, into the fearful place um, where we can actually respond faithfully to God? So I think one thing that's going to get in our way that we see in our text today is that we encounter people who try to harm us. We're, our brains are justified for being afraid a lot. People try to harm us. Uh, the text starts out with some Pharisees coming to Jesus. We don't know their motives in this. But they come and they say, Hey, Herod wants to kill you. And that's not a great message. That's not a good day. Hey, Herod wants to kill you. And just for clarity, we're talking about Herod, uh, the kind of Tetrarch ruler of Galilee, not King Herod the Great that we're used to from like our infancy stories of Jesus. So we're talking about a ruler that ruled in Galilee, which is the area that Jesus was ministering in. And they're like, hey, Herod wants to kill you. And that's a message of fear. And so how do you respond to this, this awful news? Well, and I want to pause. There's a historical side to this, and there's kind of what the text is trying to do here side of this. We have a little bit of a mixed message about Herod and Luke. Pilate is going to send Jesus to be questioned by Herod in the kind of courtroom scenes later in the Gospels before you get to Good Friday and to Easter. And Herod's not going to find anything wrong. He's just going to send him back. So if, if the message is he really just wants to kill you, it's a little bit of a mixed messaging in that later we don't really see that response. But we can believe that response because he's already executed John the Baptist in the story. And we're used to dictator-type leaders, rulers who want to uh, preserve their own power and will do so at all costs. Um, and so Herod stands in for that type of figure who's a threat, who's a, who's a threat to us. And Jesus uses an animal image, and he says, go and tell that fox. It sounds a little weird to us, because we don't use fox in this way. Uh, usually we use fox to say, they're sly, they're cunning, they're kind of clever. Or it's about uh, attractiveness. But, but Luke is using it in a kind of a destructive sense. Go tell that, that destructive person, but one that's not like a big giant lion or some massive destructive creature, just a little fox. 
And it's destructive in the comparison to the animal that he's going to talk about later with chickens and hens. But go tell that fox. So he's speaking against this person that's supposed to create fear in him. And he has a really fun message. He says, I got, I've got stuff to do today. I've got work I've got to do tomorrow. You know, I've got stuff to do the next day too. Um, I'm not running out of town. I'm not scared of you. But I am going to leave. I do have a mission. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I need to go there. And when I go there, it's not because I'm afraid of you. Because I'm going to a place that will likely end in a much more violent, ugly reaction. Um, So I'm not afraid. You're not going to deter me from my mission. And that kind of strength is already hard to actually, like, actualize for ourselves. How do you get to a place where, you, where someone says, hey, this person is out to destroy you, and you can not let that deter or alter uh, what you see God as calling you to do, as what your mission is? Um, but we can understand why, though, many people would already fall away at that point of, you know, I'm afraid I can't do what God's asking me to do. I'm going to flee. But there's a reason the text gives us a why we shouldn't be as afraid, why we should be able to live towards a new day. And that's the images Jesus gives us of another kind of animal. Uh, Jesus talks about the hen. He says, how often, he's talking to Jerusalem, how often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. So here's his mission. I want to go to Jerusalem. I want to gather your children back together as a hen gathers her little chicks under her wings. The hen is a very different animal than the fox. And and the book of Revelation also gives us some similar kinds of contrast. In Revelation, it's people are afraid of a giant beast. And we follow this little slaughtered lamb around. And like, what is it to take take your trust, your faith, and I follow the chicken, not the the fox. Shouldn't I be afraid of the fox? This chicken's going to be enough for me? Can I resist the giant beast, the beast, the monsters of the world, and follow a little lamb? And he says, I'm like a a hen, a, a chicken, who is just protecting her little chicks. Now, I'm really sad uh, that the Wagners aren't feeling well today because Al really loves chickens. It's, it's quite the opposite. Al really, really does not like chickens. And it's because he grew up with a lot of chickens. And the ugliness of what you have to do to eat a chicken and all the process involved. And, the, you know, we don't treat it like trauma in the other kind of sense, but, you know, a spanking kind of moment is having to keep dealing with those chickens of being around a chicken is a reminder of that, those feelings and those, those pains that you went through and so you leave and you get out of that and you go and you join the military and then they ask you to work with some chickens God can have a sense of humor um, but, but these, this chicken you know we don't get enough maternal images for God 
it, you know, we have what we have. We had we had a lot of people who uh, wrote our texts that probably all were male or most were male, and and were dominated with male images. But here's one of those few times where we get a a feminine image of the mother hen saying, "I'm going to protect my kids." And for some people, talking about God with feminine language gets that amygdala brain fear response. I don't talk about God that way. I don't know what to do with talking about God that way. Please don't talk about God that way. And so it's not the rational thinking part of your brain that says, do I think the God of the universe has certain anatomy or certain chromosomes? If you get on that level, most people are like, no, I don't think that. Uh, wait, why do I use this kind of pronouns or that? Um, but people have safety and security of the language that they feel secure in. When they encounter other kinds of language, it can be a fearful thing of, I don't know what to do with that. How do I process that? It's, it's uncomfortable. Other people don't hear that in the same way. They don't have that fear response and they don't know what to do with the person that has the fear response. Um, but, but here is this image of God as the hen as protecting uh, and, and Jesus as the hen in protecting. And what is it to say that ultimately God is a mother hen protective? Like to look out at all the destructive chaos and the violence in the world and say, ultimately God is a protecting God, a caring God, a loving God, not the violent, judgmental, uh, waiting to send a lightning bolt at you, God, but the one who's trying to gather you up and protect you. Not the fox who's looking for a cunning way of, of destroying something and, and, and causing violence, but one who's trying to seek out ways to protect you. And, and Jesus talks about this in some certain ways. He talks about uh, uh, exercising of like getting rid of unclean spirits and healing those that are sick and like liberating people from all of those destructive forces and gathering everybody up in that remnant and protection. And yet... Despite the beautiful image, Jesus says, how often have I tried to gather you together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. There are three kind of wishes in the story, the, the kind of verb about wanting something. Herod wants to kill you, Jesus. Jesus says, I want to gather you together like a hen. And it says, that Jerusalem was not willing. Why reject the protection, the love, the safety of God? And I think we all find ourselves more like Jerusalem than we sometimes care to admit. Despite being chosen, despite being loved, God might ask us into something new, and our fear says, I don't know. God sends a prophet, a messenger, and you say, I can't do that. And I might leave, I might lash out, but I'm going to reject this because I don't know what's coming next, and that makes me afraid. And so Jesus says some, some things like, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. And he says, see your house is left to you. And our translation is a little bit weaker than some, some other translations. It has to do with some of the manuscript, manuscript traditions. But 
There are some versions that use the word for desolate, forsaken, like wilderness kind of language of look around. Your house is deserted. Someone is coming to protect you, to give life, restore you. Bring your kids home. Bring your grandkids home. Look around. And yet Jerusalem's response, and many times our own responses, is to say, I'm afraid. And to lash out. And say, I can't, I can't go with you into the unknown. Probably the most famous version of this is the Hebrew people walking in the wilderness from Egypt. And saying, God, I don't like this wilderness thing. I know you have a promised land ahead of me. But I think, I, at least I, I know what slavery feels like. And it's familiar. Can I just go back and be a slave again? Despite the cries and the pain, can I just go back to slavery? I knew that. The unknown of this wilderness is too scary. I can't, I can't take the risk of going towards the promised land. And so, that mentality takes us to a Good Fridays, takes us to the point where uh, someone who's coming to lift up those that are poor and, and the weak and the downtrodden gets beaten and crucified. And, and fear continues to reign. But the story of Easter combats that kind of mentality. That death becomes something to be trusted, that going through pain led to a promised land, not ultimately to death. And so our story kept going, and Jesus quotes from Psalm 118. He says, I tell you, you will, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And that's a psalm that talks about God's judgment's coming because Israel's rejected God and that there's going to be hard things, but eventually Israel will turn its heart towards God. Eventually it will, it, will, it will say, God, you are king, and it will be lifted up and at some point be restored and that there's still hope, even though we keep rejecting and resisting God's call for our lives. And so there's hope in that, but we're all still faced with the challenge Wherever God's, whatever that promised land looks like for you, individually, communally, wherever God is leading us, are we willing to follow God through the wilderness to it? Are we willing to trust God in the wilderness, trust God despite the foxes that might come our way that are trying to destroy you? Do you trust in God's protection and that mother hen uh, who's there to support you? And I think that's a radical call. Like, that's a challenging call. That's a life-giving but a, a difficult journey. Because it's easy to stay where you are and it's hard to follow God. And so it's, you know, when you look at the cosmos, you look at the dog-eat-dog kind of world, and you say, you know, beyond that, there's a principle of love and goodness and unity and hope despite all of the violence I see. And I think one of the things that we are called to is a lot of prayer, 
Um, prayer and that deep breathing and, and breathing in God's presence and just sitting with God kind of clears our system, gets that fear and the anger and the emotions out of ourselves to just sit with God and rest in God's protection. I think we have to foster these things as a community because we want this to be a safe place where people don't feel like, you know, if I share what's really going on in my life, is somebody going to tear me up or are they going to protect me? Is this going to be a safe place? Um, And so we have people that, that face some very, very tough things and don't necessarily feel like they can share it. How do we make sure people feel like Uh, you're not judged, we just want to be there with you. How do we make uh, that safe mother hen protection uh, for our own community? I think that this text calls us um, to journey with Jesus through this season to the cross and to Easter. Um, I'm primarily, just in closing, I primarily hope that you see God in that protective sense because there's a lot of people that want to throw out the the lightning throwing God at you. So wherever you are in life, wherever you feel like God's calling you, my prayer for you is that you see God as that protective hen. Uh, Not who's just staying put, but who is still taking you on towards that promised land. Um, But God is good and can be trusted. And so, uh, friends, uh, I just want to sit with that image of God and the protection of the hen. Um, And would you just join me in prayer? Lord, There's plenty of fear in our society. There's plenty of fear in us. There's plenty of fear that goes deep beyond even our thinking into our very bodies. And we just ask that your spirit renew us, restore us, cleanse us from the inside out. Lord, I ask that you would just give us trust and faith and hope um, despite the potential threats that are always around the corner. Lord, help us to follow after um, your protection and to model that by being protective of others and and supporting and making safe spaces for people um, who are just trying to seek you out. Lord, we ask that you would restore us that you would continue to cast out the unhealthy, the, the destructive forces that are at work in our lives. We ask that you would restore us, that you would bring unity, that you would bring presence, as in, Lord, those who have who've wandered away, those who are um, fighting for survival, that you would bring us and unite us together and that you would bring our children home. Lord, help us prepare our hearts, our minds, our wills as we follow in the season and as we reflect on the journey to the cross and Easter. Lord, it's in your name that we pray.
Amen.